It's your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there. Um, lots to get to today. A lot of Vikings content on today's show, including a film review with Andrew Kramer. I joked with Andrew that before the Vikings burn all evidence of uh, of that game against the Packers, we needed to break it down and get to it. So we did that. Uh, we looked at what went wrong for Jaron Hall, what's been going wrong for the Vikings defense, and kind of where they go from here. It's It's been a, a rough stretch, a weird season for them, starting out bad, uh, finishing poorly. In the middle, they had that big streak to get them into the playoff race and really into their own you know, controlling their own destiny for a while in both the, the wild card race and even the division race at a certain point. That, of course, no longer the case. They need a ton of help to even think about making the playoffs in this finale. They need to win at Detroit, which will be motivated to win. And they need to do a whole bunch of, uh, need to get a whole bunch of help from other teams. So 3% chance, I think I keep seeing from different places of them making the postseason. So this is more about how do they finish this se- this season and where are they going to go in 2024. Andrew and I will look at a lot of that in the context of what went wrong against Green Bay. Uh, I'll take a look at some basketball stuff at the end of the show, some good games coming up tonight and later this week, and another buzzer beater for the best player in college basketball, men or women, certainly uh, included in that mix, uh, Caitlin Clark, another another bit of her heroism from, from her last night. First, though, what did I miss? Let's talk wild a little bit, because I feel like we're in the midst of the first real bit of adversity of the John Hines coaching era. You know, he, he came in, took over for Dean Evison. The Wild started winning right away. You know, had a couple losses in there, and then you know hit hit a stri- hit a streak where maybe they weren't playing their best, but they were still getting good results, and then really hit another stride where it felt like, okay, this is this is a team that. This is the team we thought we were going to see for the majority of the season, and for whatever reason, we weren't seeing it at the beginning of the year under Dean Evison, and that caused the coaching change. Well, now, three losses in a row for the Wild. Now, they dropped the two to Winnipeg in that kind of home-and-home series, and then they drop another one to Calgary last night. The real troubling thing at this point is the injuries mounting, not just the three-game losing streak. I mean, three games is... You know, our brains are wired to look for patterns, right? Any any kind of research tells you that the human brain loves to organize things around patterns. So you, know, you lose once, you're like, ah, that's okay. You lose twice, it's like, okay, yeah, that's still, that's, that's not necessarily a pattern. It takes three, always in my mind, to establish any kind of pattern. When you lose three in a row, especially to teams in your conference, the teams that you're battling for, you know, battling for various things, that's when you start to say, ah, okay, what's going on here? You know, with the Wild, it seems mostly at this point explained by injuries. I mean, they're be- being beset. They've already been been without Zuccarello and uh, Jonas Brodeen for you know, multiple weeks now. Brodeen's been out almost a month. Then they lost uh, uh, starting goalie Philip Gustafson and, you know, star Kirill Kaprizov a couple games ago against Winnipeg. Those guys still out. Then Marcus Foligno, uh, no, no Marcus Foligno in the loss to uh, loss to the Flames. That's a lot of firepower to be missing. So you can probably explain most of this as a personnel issue, and that seems to be, you know, that seems to be what what ails the Wild. The John Hines not taking any bit of excuses, talking about the young players who have had to step up in the lineup and still feeling confident, still liking the way they're playing, even if they're not getting the results. Here is Hines after the game on uh, on Tuesday night. 
Yeah, I think it's important. You know, there's a reason why they are in the NHL. Some guys, you know, get called up and they get different opportunities, but they're all good players. So, you know, what makes them a good player to get them to this level and get them for these opportunities? They got to bring that at a high level. And it's not that you have to do anything outside of what your skill set is, but what your identity is as a player, you got to bring that at a high level. The thing that's disappointing is I felt today's game and the last game, we we had opportunities to win the hockey game. And uh, as I continue to say that we have good depth and when players can maximize their potential and you can play a strong team game, you know, particularly like we did, I think, in the second and third period and basically the whole game against Winnipeg, we were right there in in both games. So we got to continue to build off that and and, uh, we're capable. You know, we believe in the group. We have capable guys and... um, we have a strong foundation. We know how we want to play. We just got to continue to get to it. So I think two things can be true. I think that they can be playing the game they want to play and getting the chances they want to get. But if several of the key players who are executing that game plan and those chances are a notch below Matt Zuccarello, Kirill Kaprizov, Marcus Felino, Jonas Brodeen, um, if you're playing Mark Andre Fleury, every game instead of Philip Gustafson, then you're going to look, then you're running into a problem where it's, it's not effort and it's not that these guys aren't really good hockey players. If they're in the, if they're in the NHL, like Hines said, they're obviously very good hockey players who bring a certain set of skills to the game. But if you have players who are just a half notch below your very best players filling those roles, you are going to have a deficit. You are going to have a deficiency. And in a game when you're generally playing to three or four, um, that is going to show up in small margins. You're going to lose those one-goal games instead of winning those one-goal games. The chances aren't going to go in. The golden chances are going to be a split second late. They're going to be a split second off of the mark, and that's going to be the difference in the outcome. So that's what I'm going to be watching in the next you know handful of games while they battle through these injuries. Not the effort. I think the effort's going to be there. They seem like they bring effort pretty much every single night. They like the way they're playing right now, but is the skill enough to match that effort right now? Do they have enough talent to finish those plays? And that that's the biggest thing right now. Can you can you sustain enough of that in these games to win these games to finish these things off? That's and you know, they've left themselves little margin for error with the start they had to the season. So there's not, you know, not really an opportunity. They can't lose seven of eight here. They can't let this three gamer turn into a whole lot more than that. So that's what I'm watching for in the next handful of games for the Wild. Not so much, are they going to play hard? Are they still executing? Are they finishing? Are they are they good enough to finish these chances? Are these young guys going to deliver in these key spots, not just get them into the right places? Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Let's take a look at the film before the Vikings burn all available copies, erase it from memory. Um, They probably don't want to look at it much more unless it's to get better. Andrew Kramer, because you can learn a lot from your weaknesses just as much as you can from your strengths. There are plenty of them out on the field in the 33 to 10 loss to Green Bay that, as I think I said on Tuesday's show, was an accurate reflection of the way the game went. You know, sometimes you get to a final score and you're like, ah, didn't really feel like a 33 10 game. That felt like a 33 to 10 game, Andrew. 
It really did. From start to finish, uh, Jaron Hall looked like a fifth-round rookie um, making what really was his first start. I know he got into that game against Atlanta and, and started and played 11 snaps, but it was such a truncated version of of what a game is. And once you finally threw him into the fire for multiple series, um, you saw that confidence quickly dissipate as failures kind of added up. And looking back at, at the game and seeing the All-22 in the film, and Kevin O'Connell talked about this, it was just wide open guys that he's not he's not uh, hitting. And O'Connell talked about how he was going through his progressions too quickly because he couldn't feel the rush. And that's just all part of experience. And um, it, it was very, very poor on Jaron Hall's part to O'Connell's credit. Even I think fans might have wondered, why didn't you switch him out sooner? Um, they gave him a long leash. It was the entire first half. It was 24 plays. It was a number of sacks. It was two two turnovers. It was uh, 0 for 4 to start the game, including the interception that you know was tipped up in the air by Johnny Munt. Might not totally have been his fault, but the ball did seem a little misplaced or maybe Munt was on the wrong spot on the route. Either way, J- uh, Kevin O'Connell went into that game telling Jaron Hall, I'm going to give you a long leash. I don't want you to be worried about making mistakes. He tried to set up a comfortable situation for Hall, um, but the crowd quickly turned on him at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, it, it got pretty ugly pretty quick. So what? how do we explain it then? Because it, obviously they had enough confidence in him to put him out there for, you know, what was a, because of what had transpired, had transpired before the game. You know, it was basically they knew going in, Win this one, win on Sunday against Detroit, and you're in the playoffs, you know, because Seattle had lost. Both teams had the same essential thing at stake. The Vikings do have like a back door to get in still. It's like a 3% chance, but any realistic path meant you got to win this game. An interesting spot to put your rookie quarterback into as opposed to one of your veterans. What did they? What did they see that made them think that was the time to do it? And how did it just not match the reality of what they thought they would see from him? Yeah, you flatly don't know. And coaches talk about this. Um, you flatly don't know how a lot of different positions, but especially quarterback, how that is going to fare in a live environment. They don't hit these guys in practices. They don't even really play super tough coverage outside of training camp in terms of physically roughing up, you know, Justin Jefferson or Jordan Addison and and giving the press look or, or even uh, contested catches very much downfield. They're not trying to take these guys to the ground, uh, whether it's Harrison Smith or Justin Jefferson. So that means that the simulations they're doing in practices, it's just to get the guy comfortable with the play. It's to try to develop a rhythm and a process for him that he can try to build a habit that when things are uncomfortable, when a guy's actually going to take his head off, that he can revert back to that habit and, and continue to play well and in rhythm and in the process of it. We talk about the Johnny Munt interception. If Johnny Munt's stopping in the right spot in the zone, um, Jaron Hall's throwing that ball late. Um, if Jaron Hall's throwing that ball correctly, that's then Johnny Munt's fault. But the point is, is that if he's late on throws, it can lead to drastic issues like that. And so coaches don't know how they're going to, you know, how he's going to fare once the pressure's getting there. And Hall's clock sped up so much more quickly than I'm sure they saw in practices leading up to the game. Kevin O'Connell talked about how practices were going much better than what we saw out there. But the crux of this is what um, coaches talked about as well. Like uh, Wes Phillips, the offensive coordinator, I wanted to pull up a quote that he had. This was, I think, Tuesday. 
this was before even they announced that uh, Jaron Hall was going to start that game against the Packers. Uh, he was just talking hypothetically about putting Hall in the game. And he said, um, there are just some things you ultimately don't know in those situations, whatever those things will be, how he'll respond. But you will feel like you know the person, you know his day-to-day -day work, you know his preparation. So you feel like those traits, you're betting on those traits when you're putting him in the game. So coaches knew, like, we, we don't know how this is necessarily going to go, but we know he had, uh, Nick Mullins had four interceptions the week before. He had seven turnover-worthy plays, and coaches spend all week talking about accountability and holding players accountable, holding themselves accountable. They felt like they had to make a change. Um, but what's obvious is that Nick Mullins is the only quarterback on this roster who's fit to give this uh, any kind of competency, even if he's going to be a turnover machine. You looked Hall looked a lot more composed in you know like you said it was just eleven snaps but like he gets the start against Atlanta does some good things makes you think okay you know five of six for seventy eight yards again the the smallest of sample sizes but just how he looked out there how he commanded things looked different than it did against Green Bay is it the moment is it realizing what's at stake the home crowd everybody's fired up versus kind of nothing to lose I, I'm just trying to you try to figure out like how how someone looks different in those different moments. Well, I think early on, it's easy to build a rhythm and confidence. If you complete a couple early throws, Hall did not complete a pass until was it the second, second quarter? quarter? Yeah. Yeah. He went over four with a pick. So by the time he's trying to build up the confidence just to complete a pass, he is already drained. He's in, I think that plays such a big part in it too. People have to understand that if you're put in that environment, it doesn't matter if you're me or you, Mike, or if you're Jaron Hall, who played multiple years at BYU, was drafted in the NFL, and has played in preseason games or even started a game before in the NFL. He has not played that much. He is still so inexperienced and raw, and that's why coaches say we're betting on his traits. We're betting on his raw, just the, the unmolded clay of what this guy is, that if he can go out there and do it. And why guys like C.J. Stroud or whomever looks so great right away is they got ice in their veins. And I think Jaron Hall has can have that a little bit. He's a cool, calm, collected guy, but he was rattled. He was rattled. He wasn't playing well. He wasn't seeing well. Um, and he didn't play like some of these other cold rookies do when they come into the league. And most rookies play like Jaron Hall. Most of them play like Aiden O'Connell. Most of them play like Dorian Thompson Robinson. Those are all late round picks who are rookies who played. So I just think that he had a couple good moments in Atlanta. Everyone thinks of the 49 yard throw to Alexander Madison. That was a, a wide open busted coverage. That's great. It helped him kind of build that confidence to then run at the goal line and get injured the way he did. Um, coaches told him after that, get down. Don't take that hit. We know it's the goal line. We know you're trying to score. And Hall said, I learned about the speed of the game in that moment. Um, these are all growing moments for him. And, and this is all what fans and, and really we should be expecting. One more thought about that, and then let's move on to the defense. But I mean, I know this isn't like, you know, O'Connell has said, you know, this isn't the end of the story for Jaron Hall. It's it's one game. He was put into a, a situation where there's a lot on the line. He's just a rookie, albeit a 25-year-old rookie, I do believe. Mm -hmm. Um how do you imagine this factors into their long view of him? And, you know, and, you know, they got a big decision to make this offseason on, on what the kind of the future trajectory is of quarterback. And I'm, I'm writing a little bit, I wrote a little bit uh, to, on Tuesday already about how, you know, the cousins dilemma, people are kind of making a little bit of a false choice or some false equivalences. Like they, they're looking at it and saying, man, they got to keep cousins. Cause he's, he's, they got nobody else. Well, 
they would have somebody else next year that's better than Jaron Hall or Josh Dobbs or Nick Mullins. Like it's two career backups and a fifth round pick. Like their plan next year would be much better if they decided to go a different direction than Kirk Cousins. All that said, like where do you think all of this swirl kind of leaves them in their in their thought process about quarterbacks, whether it's Hall or the big picture? Yeah, if I, if I just listening to what they've had to say since and really all season, um, I don't think this changes anything. I don't. I think they knew when Josh Dobbs came in and lit the world on fire and was on the NFL's Twitter header, you know, uh, at NFL. I think they knew at that time, like this is fun, um, but he's not playing sustainable football. Um, and you heard O'Connell talk about that. Or, you know, he's in, and we saw it on the sideline. He's got his, you know, shrugging his shrugging and smiling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like they knew that was not sustainable. They knew um, Nick Mullins was a backup level quarterback when they decided to stick with Josh Dobbs out of the bye week after right. four interceptions. They knew they thought, well, let's just see if we can keep this magic going or rekindle it or whatever. Um, and then Jaron Hall, they, they did not draft him in the fifth round with intention to start him. Um, they don't keep him as the third quarterback um, with an intention to start him. He, they knew he wasn't ready. Uh, they just didn't have any answers. They were out of answers. That's why Jaron Hall was out there. Um, I don't think this changes anything about the long-term outlook. I think I don't even think Kirk Cousins sounding the Gallahorn and being lovey-dovey with the state. And he, He's got a great relationship with the community, and, and his family loves it here, and he wants to stay here. He's also a businessman and he's he's treated his career as such and he will continue to do so. And if the Vikings do not meet what another team might meet for him and if if it's Atlanta or if it's a situation that he says, "Hey, I could see myself winning there at the twilight of my career." Um I would not be shocked to see a parting of ways uh because the Vikings are going to have their line and Kirk is going to have his and it, it's going to take somebody to budge because last year they could not agree. Um, I do wonder if how Kirk played at the beginning of this year. I think Kirk's eight games or whatever it was. Yeah, I think seven, almost eight, yeah. That's going to be the biggest thing. Does that change what they thought of him after fourth and eight in the playoffs on a check down? Like that is the taste that was left in everybody's mouth last year. And uh, our colleague Ben Gessling wrote about this uh, after talking to Kirk about his recovery from the Achilles, but. Yeah, a lot of people felt like Kirk was playing his best football last year. And if they felt like more time in the system, more weapons around him, full season of Hawkinson, Addison, all these guys, and maybe they make another run at 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 running back and fixing this running game. Um, I could see them talking themselves into a, a reunion and moving their line to meet Kirk where he wants to be. So it's it's gonna be a fascinating offseason. You're right, Mike. They're if they move on from him they're going to be better suited than they were right now. Right. Um, and and I do not think that this changes uh, any of that based on what we've seen on the field so far. One kind of mid-season argument after he got hurt, but before these last few games to maybe consider it was that they looked like they for a while had a top 10 defense. And if you say, well, all of a sudden the defense is fixed or improving and you've got Brian Flores kind of working his magic in some of these young players you know, ascending to bigger roles, then you could say, well, hey, if you pair a top 10 defense with a top 10 offense, you could be pretty good. Now, the defense, however, has fallen off in recent weeks. In your estimation, is this more a byproduct of teams are kind of figuring out what Flores is trying to do and beating it? Or is this just a matter of too many injuries, too many personnel limitations catching up to them at the end of the season? I think it's the latter first. Um I think it's teams catching up to, yeah, the personnel. I think it's a lack of 
great personnel. Like this, these corners are are mediocre. I, I like a Caleb Evans, but he's young. If we remember, he did not play much at all last year. So he's he's developing just as much as Makai Blackman is. And defensive coaches talk about how they, these are a lot of growing pains we're going through with these young guys. And a Caleb Evans had a lot of them in the Detroit game. Uh, he had a lot of them in the Green Bay game as well. And so I think Green Bay saw that. And so when a Caleb was put back into the lineup, how many easy throws were there on the perimeter for Green Bay? And how many times did they shed a tackler to get even more yardage in what is not designed by Brian Flores? Um, Brian Flores will put a shell on top of blitzes, meaning that he will give you underneath stuff pretty often. That's designed, but you're supposed to go up there and make the tackle and limit it to three, four, five yard gains. Uh, the Packers routinely had more than that uh, in that game. And so that's personnel. That's not just Brian Flores. Part of it is Jordan Love, too, looked a lot more comfortable against Brian Flores' blitzes and schemes. And Matt LaFleur in that scheme had a lot more answers for his quarterback um, in that environment. Because you remember in that Green Bay game, I know the Kirk got hurt late and they had a, a comfortable lead, but they were killing the Packers. Like Jordan Love couldn't do anything. It was three and out after three and out. And ever since, Jordan Love has played very well, not only against the Vikings, but against the Chiefs and a lot of other teams. Um, so he's starting to find his stride. That offense in Green Bay is starting to find their stride. And the Vikings just kind of met them at the wrong time when they were injured even more so than they were two months ago. Um, and and frankly, I think, yeah, there are some answers to, to what Flores is doing because there are incredible limitations. Uh, without DJ Wanham in the game, they didn't, they bumped up Patrick Jones to start, but they didn't like bump up the rotation to have Andre Carter, who's a rookie, all of a sudden play a bunch. Andre Carter is not an NFL player right now. He probably shouldn't even be on the active roster, but they paid a lot to get him as an undrafted rookie into camp, and they believe in his potential long term. He's just not physically fit right now to be in the NFL, and he got bullied on some of those plays against Green Bay, and so he didn't play a lot. And so what Brian Flores had a plan for was to put Jordan Hicks or Ivan Pace or one of their linebackers in those rush positions um, uh, as an extra edge rusher and then brought a rookie safety in Jay Ward onto the field to play coverage. So he's leaning more on his secondary to help fill his pass rush. Like there's a lot of issues right now with injuries and personnel and who they have. And and frankly, this team just needs another offseason maybe or two of talent infusion. That tells me that if they need another offseason or two of talent infusion, that they should start with the quarterback and kind of uh, maybe maybe move on from there. Because I just, you know, I don't see them being a viable Super Bowl contender in the next two years. And so maybe it makes sense to start start the clock ticking now, start the uh, start the rebuild, you know, the, the rebuild part of the competitive rebuild. But yeah, Flores has done great things with the defense this year. I think you're right. I mean, they miss Byron Murphy. Um, you know, I don't think he was a world beater this year, but man, in his absence, you see, you see the, the kind of chain of command and, and where that goes from there. Yeah. And he's quietly had like 13, he's got three picks, 13 pass yeah. deflections. He's, he's given up some plays in coverage, but he's been a playmaker in coverage that in ways that a Caleb Evans, who does not play the football very well when it's in the air or Makai Blackman who does, but he's five foot 10. Um, you just, you got limitations. Yeah. And, and you're right. Byron Murphy's knee injury. Uh, it was a quiet one, but he played through it in Cincinnati and has not played since, and, and they've felt that. Kind of wild to think that they were on the brink of being 8-6 and six in Cincinnati if they could have gotten a couple inches and moved into field goal range and instead 
season on the brink, seven and nine, got to beat the Lions and have all sorts of help to get into the playoffs. More than likely, they lose that game to a mad Lions team and wind up with probably like the 12th, 13th pick in the draft, which, you know, kind of gets you within shouting distance of maybe one of those quarterbacks you like. We'll see. Lots to figure out, lots to sort out, um, including who's even going to start this game at quarterback for them. You think it's going to be Mullins again? Who do you think they're going to go to? That's my guess. My, my guess is that it's going to be Nick Mullins. Um, it's obviously not going to be Jaron Hall. And I would be surprised if they go back to Dobbs, considering how long it's been since he started. And he's been the third quarterback, which means in practices, he's not even really running the offense right now. He's doing scout team stuff. He's running the other team's offense so the defense can see it. Um, yeah, if I had to bet, it's it's going to be Mullins. And hey, he put up, uh, what was it, 400 yards in that Cincinnati game. He just needs to make some better decisions, and uh, maybe he will in Detroit. All right, Andrew, appreciate it as always. Well, I'm glad we got to see the film before they burned it, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Andrew, as always. Appreciate him hopping on for this segment the entire season. There'll be one more Next week, maybe a whole, maybe a bigger look at kind of the film review from the season. What went well? What didn't go well? What's sustainable for next year? And what, you know, do, what should they worry about? You know, either improving or trying to sustain in 2024, given their personnel, their coaching, everything like that. It's poetry time on daily delivery. I feel like we're really hitting our stride on this segment, Keith. Even if the Vikings are not, I think the the effort has been there. The the, the best is yet to come, I think, for for poetry um, and Vikus, but uh, I don't think the best is yet. To, I, I don't think the best is yet to come that. for the Vikings. I don't think the best is yet to come for the Vikings. What is the what is the best for this team? Like whatever, I'm just gonna read poetry. Don't you you wish that? Okay, you're probably gonna say this anyway. Go ahead, go with your poetry. Okay, no, ask your question. Ask your question. I, I was gonna know. say, don't you wish they would have just tanked? Now that you see how the season went. If only somebody had suggested that at an opportune time during the season. You've waffled. Only. You've waffled so much, though. You're like tank, don't tank, play Jaron Hall, don't play Jaron Hall. Anyway, it's so. not my fault. It was is based on their choices. It's based <laughs> on the choices that they made, right? So I was all for the tank. I wanted them to uh-huh. just in this year, right? Yeah. Let's just do it. And then they decided, okay, we're not going to do it. And the team showed some resiliency, and mm-hmm. it was fine, and it was fun. So whatever, you jump on that bandwagon. You don't sit around being like, oh, I wish they would have tanked. Oh, if only they would have decided to lose games when I said they should lose games. But you, just said, that. But you just said that. You did just say that. Well, when, I when just the, said it right now. But when, the facts, thinking... when the facts change, your opinions can change. That's okay. All right, go okay. ahead. An old year dying. A new year just beginning. The same old horse poop. Yeah, it was, you know, was this three years in a row now that right around New Year's, they've gotten absolutely humiliated by the Packers. I don't like that trend. Um, don't like how the rookie quarterback looked. Don't like that they made Jer- made Jordan Love look really good, and he's been playing better lately. Don't love that the Packers might make the playoffs this year if they beat the Bears. Don't love that the Vikings are in last place now with the Bears. Don't love any of it. I don't love any of it. It, you know, it, it, every new year is supposed to have this hope and promise <laughs> right. and 
And it's a time for resolutions and time to reinvent yourself and think about what right. what could be as the calendar turns. And it is just more of the same. And it's impossible <laughs> to imagine it ever changing. It's the same stupid stuff. And, it, you know, you know, good for them. They figured out different ways to present you with the same stuff. Yeah. Right. This year, this year was all about going through four quarterbacks. Four quarterbacks. Right? Yeah. Uh, and you think about what life would have looked like if they had finally all gelled together and Kirk hadn't got injured and, and things would have looked different. But as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, there's never been a point in time in life where everything has aligned for this team. Sometimes right. the offense is really good. And then the defense is putrid. Sometimes it's vice versa. Sometimes it, it just, everything falls apart. And as much as I, I actually do appreciate and have enjoyed the resiliency of this team and the fact that they have not given up, it just is still, this was too much. This is too much to overcome to get us right to where exactly everybody expected they would be. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, if you had said exactly what's going to happen this year, you'd have expected this to be about that record. It was, it was how it happened, right? Like you start one and four, you lose Justin Jefferson. Along the way, you you lose Kirk Cousins, but all of a sudden, you well, just so keep, should have tanked. But whatever, should have tanked, and then there's six and four all of a sudden, and like you know, you just look at like stupid games along the way, and yeah, they've won some games they maybe shouldn't have won in in weird ways, but like. You go back to like the 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 Chargers game where the ball goes off Hawkinson's hands. You go back to the Buccaneers game that the start of the year they could have won, like the bad omen. You go back to the the failed tush push, like all these stupid little moments where they could have where they could have had a better season. And that's the that's probably a frustration. Well, I think my favorite part is that we're at the moment of realization, right? Where everybody, including us in the midst of this conversation, is treating the season as if it's already over. And there's one more game left that we all have to endure. Yeah. But but it's just sort of done for everybody. It's it's just yes. over. Yeah. Same old horse poop. Same old horse poop. Number two, please. <laughs> Speaking of horse poop. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I open my soul every week. And this is the kind of treatment that no, I No, it's just number two. Number two. Come on. I'm not yeah. I'm not casting aspersions on your poetry. I'm just making a poop I, joke. I don't feel I don't feel like that's just true. Making a poop but joke. Okay. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All those idiots wanting the rookie QB got what they deserved. How do you feel? You're like, play Jaron Hall. If you're going to do anything, play Jaron Hall. Well, they played Jaron Hall. How'd you like that? I got what I deserved. You got what you deserved. Yeah, that's fair. You and Suhan. Suhan had the, the mea culpa uh, column after the game. It was like, my bad. Oops, uh, he wasn't that good. I guess <laughs> I guess we tried that. It didn't work. So got any more bright ideas? I, they could, I, was, I wish they had one more option to try in week 18. Just one, a fifth quarterback. Who... Who, it would be just delightful if they could just find one other guy. Bring Brett Favre back. He could sure use the money. Who knew? Who knows? Like what they could do to maybe, to make... maybe Joe Flacco. Well, he's got a job. He's 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 busy. But yeah, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Like like the, there was the the second guessing that's yeah. been going on, right? Uh, and maybe they should have brought Joe Flacco. I think it would just be nice to see him for one game, just to see what could have yeah. been. Maybe they could. Maybe maybe I don't know if Cleveland would do that or not. But 
you know, hey, Aaron what's, Rodgers. What's Dante Culpepper doing nowadays? Yeah, how about Dante? How about any of the other guys that never got a chance before? Let's bring in Sage Rosenfels. You know, bring oh, in somebody. You know, yeah. somebody who. John David Booty. J.D. Booty. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but yeah, Jaron Hall. In in retrospect, it was a weird time to try that. Like, they obviously saw something in him that they thought he was going to play much better than he did and could have justified everybody's kind of like, hey, play the rookie, see what he can do kind of energy. But man, did he, did, he did not look good. But, but did they? Did they? So this is the question that I have. And uh, again, this is the kind of second guessing I can do because I have no consequences for the yeah. opinions that I express on, on right. this podcast segment. Right. But did they actually see something in him or did Kevin O'Connell bow to the pressures of idiots like me and people with even louder voices in the media who were clamoring for this sort of thing? Did he do what, what Mike Zimmer wouldn't do? And sort of bow down and said, "Oh, okay, like, yeah. Well, what was what's it? I can't remember the kid's name. The quarterback, that, yeah, who, who Zimmer threw under the bus. Yeah, why didn't you play it's him? Because I see him in practice all week. Right, and O'Connell didn't have to say that, no. right? But no. if, it, but you, you know, in in retrospect, Zimmer made the right choice. You know, probably yes. made the right choice. Now, we have to acknowledge that there were no good choices for O'Connell." Right. Because the other two quarterbacks both found games where they threw four interceptions. Right. Yes. No good choice whatsoever. But Mond looks so out of place. Hall did. Yes. Yeah, excuse yes. me. Yes. yes. Hall looks so out of place, so yes. terrible that it, it really wasn't a very good choice. So is it one of these things where Kevin O'Connell maybe bowed to peer pressure and said, oh, I'll show you. You, you know, that you're not right. Or like, what exactly is happening here in the sense that is it possible that that the sense of strong leadership that we assume that he has is not really coming to fruition when it comes to what's happening with these quarterbacks? Again, all the choices are bad, but <laughs> Jaron Hall was really bad. Really bad. And, and you know, you know, had a couple good series against Atlanta before he got hurt. So maybe, maybe he could justify it, but it just makes me sort of want, is it dealing with dealing with the head coach who's, who's starting to flail a little bit now? I don't know. I think maybe there's a tiny element of, of that, but I think, I think more on more of it is what you were alluding to also is that they just weren't moron. any other good. Were you going to call him a moron? More. More on that point. That's moron. a very bold stance from Michael bold. Rand of the Star Tribune. <laughs> they call the head coach a moron. More on that point. Um, <laughs> I think it was just that there there weren't any other good options. Are you, are you man enough to do it at the press conference? That's what <laughs> hey, I want more, to know. Hey, moron. I got a question. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. And I don't think Kevin O'Connell's a moron. I think he's got some things to work on as a head coach. But he's. I think by and large, he's a good head coach. But you do think that he didn't have a lot of options, right? Like you said, like he'd already benched Josh Dobbs. He'd already benched Nick Mullins. Like he benched Nick Mullins for throwing these interceptions. Like Jaron Hall was like the only other guy left standing. Like it was maybe more of a, hey, let's see what he can do. Can't be any worse than everybody else until it was kind of thing. Then it was, hey, all the fans want him. Let's give it a try. That's probably right. But it, it just made me think about yeah. it again. 
and because I don't have to suffer any consequences you know, for my know. opinions. Yeah, especially for calling people morons. Okay, number three. That's right. A barren wasteland where hope ferments into cheese. Wisconsin kills souls. Yeah, I mean, it hurts to... It feels like this happens a lot, right? Like where you think you see how a season is going and the Vikings have the upper hand only to have that disintegrate at the end of the year and, and then the Packers rip off the mask and it's another good quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> how good? Yeah. I, I don't even want to think about how good he might end up being. I mean, it's... <sighs> and and I, I do think this is the game where the wheels finally fell off the, the bus, right? But the defense, you know, they, yeah, they got no personnel anymore. They they put together a very spirited effort over the course of the season with everything that happened. But when you lose 45 guys to to torn quad muscles, you, you know, in, in the second to last game, there's only so much resistance you can you can put up, right? So it all sort of just fell apart at this this point in time and it just hurts that it happened to be against the packers who are now eh, probably going to find a way to make the playoffs and it's just going to be disgusting when that happens yes it's disgusting because you know people here engage in a certain amount of um rooting against the packers from schadenfreude and uh this is not the year for that it would seem it was for a while it was for a while it, it did it was it felt, it felt great for a period of time there um, things turned around. Yeah. Okay, last one, please. Okay. My resolution? To write yet more poetry. <laughs> haters. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you've got fans, you've got haters, you've got, we've got, you know, all you, all we can ask is that you're, that you're not boring, that, that you, as long as people have an opinion of this segment, one way or the other, whether they're skipping right through it sending nasty messages or complimenting it which i send you all i send you all the feedback i get good or bad um as long as people are interested in it and are not just turning it completely off and then throwing their portable devices onto the ground then i think we're doing i think we're doing we're doing the work we should be doing haters I was on the fence about whether I needed to use the beep button in those two cases just now, but I know Keith enjoys when I do, so I decided, why not? Let's use it. Let's have some fun. It wasn't the, it wasn't an egregious uh, wasn't an egregious thing he said, but I decided to beep it out anyway, just just for the sake of uh, just for the sake of being safe and just for the sake of having a little fun for 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 Keith. So that was for you, Keith. Hope you appreciate that, and I always appreciate. Uh, my good friend jumping on with me that's become one of my favorite segments and you know it, if at nothing else it's an excuse to talk to him every week which is a nice thing as well let's finish quickly with the cooler some upcoming basketball games and one that just got played tuesday night caitlin clark uh, wins the game against Michigan State for Iowa with a buzzer beater. Barely got out of her hand in time. It was basically from the Hawkeye logo. They win 76-73. She has, you know, she's ridiculous. She keeps pouring out the points, keeps pouring on the accolades. At this point, we almost take her heroics for granted, but we shouldn't. She is a special, special player. You just you can't even find the right words to describe how good she is. Certainly the best player in college basketball, the most impactful player in college basketball. We are lucky to get to watch her play this season. You'll get to watch her play later this year when Iowa plays at the Gophers. They already played once this year in Iowa not too long ago. Iowa had a big win over Minnesota in that one. 
That was the Gophers' last game before they play tonight against Maryland, a chance for them to reset in that game. Gopher men's basketball plays tomorrow night at Michigan. I'll have Marcus Fuller on tomorrow's show to talk Gopher men's basketball, to kind of talk about their season, set up that Michigan game, and kind of where they're at and as they progress this year and kind of get to the bulk of their Big Ten schedule. So look forward to that tomorrow. Should be plenty of Wolves talk on tomorrow's show, too. They play the Pelicans tonight, trying to get get out from underneath that loss to the Knicks. You know, it's kind of funny. They, I feel like they've been kind of catching some flack lately. Chris Finch hasn't been happy with them. Some fans are like, ah, this just hasn't been the same lately. They're 7-4, and four, though, during this stretch of 16 really tough games. I realized that the other day when I was writing about it. I was like, man, they're 7-4. and four. Like, at the start of this stretch, I was, I was thinking, man, if they can win 7 or 8 of these 16 games, that will be a pretty good... You know, they, they would probably feel pretty good about that. They're already kind of kind of there already and now with a chance to go beyond that. So the fact that they're not playing their best or it doesn't seem like they're playing their best right now, they're still winning a lot of these games. That, that's how good they are right now. They can win a lot of times without being their best, which is dangerous sometimes, but is also a heartening fact because when they are at their best, they are as good as anyone in the league. We'll see how they fare tonight. That will do it for me today. Like I said, Marcus Fuller on tomorrow's show. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Back at it again tomorrow.